Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through 11. God's word says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last. How many of you have a version that says the Alpha and Omega? Anybody still have nobody this morning? Wow, it's amazing. To the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, in Jesus' name, amen. Just a recap of where we were, uh, where, what we're doing uh, now. We're studying for the next, uh, for, for, for several weeks, we're going to look at these seven churches in Asia. Jesus comes to John, who's on the Isle of Patmos down there, um, one of the small islands listed there. And Jesus gives seven letters for him to deliver to the seven churches there in Asia. And the neat thing about this is each church is allowed to read the other church's letter, and they also have the full book of Revelation to go along with the letter that they receive. So last week, Jesus had instructed a letter to the church of Ephesus. This week, geographically, he goes about 40 miles north to Smyrna. Smyrna is a very important seaport. It's located at a strategic point on the Aegean coast. And it is now what we would call modern-day Turkey. And at the time of the writing here, there are about 200,000 people who live here in Smyrna. It, for three centuries, it had been one of the most important cities in Asia Minor. Now, there's a lot of contrast that Jesus does here in the letter that he writes to the church at Smyrna. He makes a, a lot of contrast that are just openly uh, visible to us. He calls himself he who is first and last, dead but came to life. He speaks to those who were impoverished but rich, persecuted by those who claim to be Jews but are not, and he says one day you will, like Jesus, find life in death. So let's dive into this this morning and look at, at what Jesus has to say to this church in Smyrna as, um, as he has instruction for them. Now, there's a takeaway. As in each of the letters, there's a takeaway that he wants this church to, to see and to know. And as in each of the letters, Jesus reveals himself in his glory. Last week, he revealed himself to the church in Ephesus. He said, I am the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand, and I walk among the seven golden candlesticks. In other words, I hold those who are in leadership in my right hand, and I am in complete control of all of the churches here that I'm writing this letter to. I am, I am in control. I am God in, his, in, 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 in the flesh. 
He says, I am the first and the last who died and came to life again. Now, he's writing this to a group of people who are beginning to suffer persecution. And they are beginning to be rejected by the people that they live around there in Smyrna. And he wants them to understand this. When he says, I am the first and the last. What he's saying there is, I was here at creation. I was a part of creation. I was, I was visibly present in creation. I control all of history. Everything that you know about what has happened in the course of history, I have controlled it. I have used men. I have used empires. I have used everything on this earth to get to where we are today to lead up to the birth and, and, and life and death and burial and resurrection. And he's saying, don't worry about these things so much because I am in control. I am the Lord of history and I am the creator. He's in control. They are surrounded and everywhere they look, there is an appearance of evil in everything that they see. And Jesus says to them, don't be overwhelmed by all of this because I am in control. It is important to the people in Smyrna. They want everyone in Asia to understand that they are the most beautiful city there in Asia. And they want everyone in Asia to, to understand that they lead the way. They are the most zealous when it comes to honoring and worshiping the emperor. They want everyone who knows any. If you traveled to Smyrna, they wanted you to be overwhelmed by their beauty, by their culture, and by their allegiance to the Roman government. Now, Jesus points it out. That's what's important to these people here. But I am happy with you because you are putting what is first first. He says to them, you are more concerned with me. You are more concerned with your relationship with who is truly first in everything, and that is me. It would be like he's asking the question uh, to this church, what if all churches, what if people in our churches were as concerned with Jesus as we are with the things that lost people are? We, in, in, in most of our churches, if you, if you look at how we live and you look at who we are, we are just as concerned with, uh, with the things of the world as lost people are. We are just as concerned with, with, with fitting in and being a part as the people who are lost are. What if we were as zealous for living like Christ and, and being Christ-like as we are those things? So Jesus is beginning to lead them there in that direction. He says, I am the first and last. I am he who died. In the Greek, it literally means I purposely became a corpse. I purposely died and became a corpse, but then I came to life again. Now, this congregation that he's writing to, they see imprisonment and they see death. They see these things all around them. Everywhere they look, they see their brothers and sisters being taken to jail. They see some of them losing their life because of their witness for Christ. And Jesus is saying, I died and came back to life again, and I will offer you the crown of life and protect you from the second death. So then he, he introduces himself there to them in his glory, and he begins to address them the way that he does the other churches with these two words, I know. 
I see what's happening. And he begins to tell them, I know you are persecuted and I know you are poor. We talked last week about Ephesus. And in the city of Ephesus, the emperor worship that was established by the emperor Domitian. And how everyone in Ephesus was expected to come and to worship at a temple that had been uh, built there. And because of that, what a hardship it had become on the Christian community. Now, Smyrna is even a, a worse place for a Christian because they are the very center of emperor worship. They had competed with 11 other cities to have the temple to Tiberius, who was the emperor. They competed much like cities in the world compete now to get the Olympics. Smyrna had competed with 11 other cities to be able to build a temple to the emperor Tiberius. And they built this huge elaborate temple and everyone who was a citizen of Smyrna was expected once a year to come to that temple and to declare their worship of Caesar. They would take incense and they would bow their knee and they would burn the incense and they would, make, they would repeat the phrase, Caesar is Lord. And when they had completed that, someone was there from the Roman government who would write a decree. They would give them a certificate saying that they had been a part of the compulsory worship of Caesar. It'd be much like us in the modern day going to get our driver's license and we pass the test and somebody there from the government writes a, a certificate saying we've qualified to be able to drive. Now, we don't have to worship uh, the government when we go, but it, it was something similar to that. The government had set up this institution there, and so the Christians there in Smyrna had refused to do this, and it was more dangerous for them than it was anywhere else. History tells us about a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. He was the head of the church in Smyrna. And he was 86 years old, and because he refused to bow his knee to the Roman government, to bow his knee to Caesar, and refused to stop preaching that Jesus was God and that he was the only way, he was ordered to be bound hand and feet and tied to a stake and burned alive. Now, he was 86 years old when this happened, and these are his words. Eighty and six years have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless thee for deigning me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be among thy martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying as they're taking him to be burned alive. As they set the fire there, the fire will not consume him. The fire doesn't burn right, so they have to stab him to death. That's what a Christian in Smyrna was up against and facing if they, if they stayed true to their Savior. He says, I know you're being persecuted, and I know your poverty. Probably in the beginning, because if they refused to serve, if they, if they refused to worship the way that they were instructed to, probably there in the beginning, they started out with economic sanctions. 
They, they, they probably suffered uh, some economic persecution. They probably couldn't get a job. They probably couldn't trade if they were a tradesman. So we know that Jesus is aware of all these things and their poverty, but he says this. He says, you are rich. Now, how can you be rich when you're in poverty? How can you be rich when you can't trade or you can't buy and you can't have what your family needs? Jesus says you are rich because of your relationship with God. You are rich because of this persecution. This persecution has caused a tremendous spiritual uh, maturity in this Christian community there in in Smyrna. How does a church grow during persecution? How do we see around the world today, we see so many places where churches are persecuted. We see so many places... The greatest revivals that are happening in the world today are happening in the places where the greatest persecution is happening. I believe that it's because in those places, those people have come to a point to where all they have left is their prayers and to cry out to Jesus continuously. And as a result, he blesses them with tremendous spiritual growth in the midst of their poverty and, and the church expands and grows. Now, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should consider persecution as an opportunity to grow spiritually. James writes about this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James is writing to a James, the brother of Jesus, is writing to a group who is suffering persecution. And he says something real strange to this group that he's writing to. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now think about joy for just a minute. Think about the things in your life that bring you joy. Some of you are thinking about children or grandchildren. Some of you are thinking about being here this morning, being among God's people. Some of you are thinking about the joy of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking about joy that you have from different events that you may be a part of. But Jesus, uh, James is saying here, count it all joy. Now I want, you to, I want you to, in your notes, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down James 1, 2 through 4, and I want you to write down this phrase. Reflective praise inspires future perseverance. Reflective praise inspires future perseverance. James is saying here to this group of people that he's writing to, if you have the ability in when you meet trials in this life, if you have the ability to sit down in the middle of those things and count it as joy and to give God praise for what's going on, the difficulty that you're in, then that that praise is going to lead to your future perseverance. It's going to help you on down the road when you face something else again. Look at that. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. It's not if you meet trials. In our Christian travels, we're going to meet trials in, our, in, in tribulations in our lives. He says there are trials of various kinds. It could be anything. It could be financial. It could be family. It could be uh, your job. It could be coworkers. It could be anything that happens, but something's going to happen. He says, for you know. In other words, it's a given. It's a given this is going to happen. 
that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Produces steadfastness. Other words for steadfastness are being firm, being steady, being solid. If you take this test that you're in, you take this trial and this tribulation that you're in, and you stay close to Jesus, and you allow to yourself to walk with Jesus through what you're going through, then it's going to produce steadfastness. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, having done everything else, being able to stand. No matter what has come your way, no matter what life may throw at you, no matter what the devil may throw at you to try to knock you down, there is a steadfastness and you can stand. He says, let steadfastness. That word let there, that three-letter word says that it's a conscious decision of ours to stay, in the, to stay with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to let that steadfastness have its full effect. Now, the full effect in Smyrna is this. You may go to prison or you may give your life for the cause of Christ. Now, none of us are going to get up in the morning unless something very drastic happens tonight. None of us are going to get up in the morning and go into work or go wherever we're going and someone meet us there and say, if you're a Christian, we're going to take you to prison. That, that's, that, that's not going to be the persecution that we face the way that they're facing in Smyrna. But some of us this week will face some kind of per persecution or trial. And James is saying here, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When it comes to faith, God doesn't want you to lack in anything. He wants you to allow situations to happen and allow them to play their course out and you to walk hand in hand with Him and allow those things to produce and to make you lacking in nothing. Jesus said these words in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. Jesus is saying, if you want to bear fruit, you will keep continuing to walk with me. So he tells them, I know you're poor, I know you're persecuted, but you're rich in God because you are walking with me through this. Then he goes on to identify what's happening to them. He says, the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Look at that word there, slander. The slander of those, the slander of those. Now, some of you have a Ph.D. in being slandered. Some of you know this. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how close you walk with God. It doesn't matter what is going. Somebody's going to say something about you. Somebody's going to spread something about you. Somebody's going to talk about you. Somebody's going to magnify something about you. And they're going to slander you. I, this is one of the first things that I learned as a Christian. When I became a Christian, before I was a Christian, people would talk about me. And I, I imagine the conversations mostly went like this. I heard that he did this, his poor mother and daddy. That's, that's how most of the conversations went. Well, I thought when I became a Christian, one of the things I naively thought was, well, now people, people will stop talking about me. But guess what? Immediately, it got worse. People would sit around and say, well, he feels guilty about something. He, he's going to church because he feels guilty about something. There's a woman at church he wants to meet. 
you know, something like that. You know, always some slander there. So I learned very early on, just because you're walking with Jesus doesn't mean that people are going to quit talking. In, 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 in a lot of our situations, it means they're going to talk about you more. Now I want to give you some advice this morning, and I want you to heed it. When someone comes to you and they begin a conversation with these two words, these are two of the most dangerous words in all of the English language. They said, or I heard. When someone comes to you and says, well, I heard, I want you to do this. I want you to immediately put your hand up and say, stop. If you are tempted by the devil to go to somebody and say, well, I heard, you go somewhere before you do it and you pray before you do. Because these people here were being slandered by other people in the city and it was causing a greater hardship on the spreading of, of the gospel. The people in, there were people in Smyrna working against the church through slander and through rumors. Um, now, here's what's important. For the first time in Revelation here, in the, in the second chapter, Jesus reveals the ultimate source of the persecution of Christians, and that's Satan. Listen, the, the source of the persecution of Christians in the world today, it's not the North Korean government. It's not the Iranian government. It's not any government in the world. The source of, of it is not Muslims or not Hindus or Buddhists. The source of all persecution of Christians in the world is Satan. He's the source of it. Now, he will use governments. And he will use other religions to persecute. But the source of it all is Satan. And here's the thing. Most of our adversaries are easily identified. This Friday evening when our high school teams travel and they go to play or, or somebody comes in, they'll wear two different colored jerseys. Our, our, our kids playing football will know who their adversary are. They identify themselves. They have a different school name and a different color on. They're easily identified. Our adversary, the devil, does not want to be identified. Now, in our society today, if you, tell, if you say out loud in most places, I have a belief, I believe in God, there are, there are a few people who will look at you and think, well, you're insane. You're crazy for having a belief in something you can't see. But if you say you have a belief in a literal devil, people will start looking for a net and want to throw it over you and haul you away and put you in an insane asylum. The devil does his best. The, the, the greatest advantage he wants is for people to believe he doesn't exist or that he's a Halloween character with a pitchfork and pointed tail. In 2016, only 61% of Americans said they believed there is a literal being who is Satan. He's ignored and underestimated people because people don't want an explanation of why there is real evil in the world. Now, if you're taking notes, write these verses down and go back and look at them later this afternoon. In Job chapter 1, verse 7, we find out where he is. He is all over the earth, roaming about the earth, looking for people to accuse. 
In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, we see what he controls. He has been given a period of time where he is in control of the earth. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul reveals the power structure behind how he controls the earth. But there's also descriptions in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we need to understand Simon Peter, who was sifted by the devil, says this, Our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus makes it clear in John 10, 10, when he says these words, Your enemy, the devil, has come to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. The devil has three intentions for you. He wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. Those are his only intentions for your life. If you're living apart from Christ, and, and, and you are living in a world where you are with a, 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 a being that is ultimately wanting to kill, steal, and destroy everything about your life. So there's the takeaway. Now let's quickly, quickly look at the turnaround. Smyrna is only one of two churches that Jesus doesn't have a rebuke. He finds no fault and he gives no verdict, so he gives them a command. He says this, do not fear. Now, these people have are understanding through this letter there's going to be future pain and suffering, and hearing that, their natural reaction may be to be fearful. Jesus lets them know some of you are going to be put in prison at the hands of the devil in order to test you and, and uses the phrase 10 days of persecution. But what he's saying here is through this it will be seen where your true loyalty is. It's like Jesus is a doctor and he comes in the room with a report for a patient and he says, here's the bad news. You're suffering. Here's the worst news. It's not going to end. But, he says, be faithful unto death. And he says, if you are faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life. Now, People in Smyrna were very familiar with the crown of life. There's a picture here. They were very familiar. This is this was uh, there was a Greek word for this, but it meant crown of life. And in the Roman society, when someone won a race or someone won a, a, a sporting event, someone of great prominence would, at, at a public ceremony, would put this olive branch wreath on their head, and it would identify them. As a champion, it would identify them as as having a, a being a really important part of life. So when Jesus says the crown of life, these people in Smyrna automatically identify it with being victorious. And Jesus is saying to them, "If you stay with me till the end, then I'm going to myself. I'm going to give you a crown of life." Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter, uh, verse 4, beginning 6 through 8, he tells Timothy that someday Jesus, is, Jesus personally is going to give me a crown of righteousness. 
It's different than the crown of life. There's five different crowns that we can receive. The crown of life is specifically for those believers who persevere in their faith even under persecution. Even under persecution. Now, in our context, does that mean that we have to go to prison? Or does that mean that we have to be martyred to get a crown of life? I don't believe so. I believe that I've known people here in this congregation that I've served with who passed away from here who went through long suffering with, with, with sickness or death and, uh, sickness and, and could have easily said this is unfair and I'm walking away from Christ as a result of this. But they stayed true to the end. I've known pastors and ministers who, who, who under great hardship kept serving the Lord. And I believe that someday those people will, will, will someday have Jesus himself give them a crown of life because they remain faithful to the end. The, the church, during this time uh, of Roman persecution, these, these Christians would endure and they would endure some very severe things as, as these things they, they, they went through. But Jesus is saying to them, stay true and at the end, I promise you a crown of life. And I promise, I promise you that the second death the spiritual death won't touch you. Now, he's encouraging them. And he's saying, this is how I want you to live. And this is where I want you to make it to. And I, want, I long to be able to myself give you this crown of life that I have for you. So this morning, you know, our, our, we, we look at our own lives. We look at this church here. And we realize the parallels of, of life. And we ask ourselves, are we living a life that's steadfast? Are we living a life that's steadfast? Are we able to stand in the face of anything that the devil throws our way? Are we persevering? Many people in our world are suffering great persecution and imprisonment for being a Christian. And we know people who will walk away from church simply because they got their feelings hurt. Or because somebody said something or, or somebody sat in their seat or somebody, uh, or, there's just a myriad of, of re, uh, just multiple reasons that we see people just walk away from church and say, I won't be back. And I, I, I don't have anything to do with it anymore. Jesus is saying be faithful. Be faithful through no matter, no matter what happens. Be faithful to the end. And this morning, that's our challenge. We live in a world where I can't say that here in, in this nation we're, we're, we're persecuted. But we live in a world and in a society where things could tilt and go in a different direction. And in our lifetimes, we could face some of the same persecutions that Christians in other parts of the world are suffering that we read about. It could happen in a very short time. Are we, are we ready to stand no matter what comes our way as a Christian? 
Are we steadfast through the trials and tribulations that we may go through with our families or with our, our, our friends or with our, our church or whatever? What, how is God preparing you and growing you spiritually to face greater things in the future and to be a greater, more strong Christian and to be a help to someone else? This morning I want to close as Darren comes. I don't want to ever close a service without giving someone the opportunity. Someone who may say this morning, I want to declare that I've heard the word and it has spoke to my heart and I realize that I've never even began a relationship with the Lord. And I'm, I endure things and I go through things, but I go through those things alone. And I would like to know that this morning Jesus died, first of all, for my sins. And he died for me to have forgiveness of my sins. But in the bonus of that, everything that I go through in this life, Jesus himself will walk with me through it. Jesus will be there. And he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll be with me until the end. Maybe you want to to know that this morning. If you come this morning and take God's word and show you how to leave here this morning knowing you have eternal life. Maybe you have, have, have already taken care of that. But you've never been through believer's baptism. You're not a member of a, of a church, a fellowship. Maybe this morning you want to come and declare that. Whatever it is, maybe you just want to come and pray for whatever's going on in your world, in your life, and ask for strength. Whatever it is during this time of worship and reflection and invitation, decision, Would you be obedient to God as we stand? Father, thank you.